Welcome to Hot Yaga Radio this fine day in December 2022. I'm taking my constitutional round the hill. And there's a fair sprinkle in the snow actually. As you can no doubt here underfoot along this little track at the back of the hill. The higher hills have got a lot of snow on them coming right the way down. And it's spectacular because the sun's out. It's all glistening in the most sublime fashion. And one asks, when the world is so beautiful, why do the humans turn it into such a crock of shit? That might well be my question today, even though it's a, a, a big one that's bothered people for a long time. And, and the answers uh, seem to find themselves getting wrapped up in a, a religious framework. Like one of the jobs religion is meant to do, perhaps, is to... Is to say, why suffering? In fact, like the Buddha was very explicit about his own initiation of a world religion. Why do we suffer? What can we do about it? In Christianity, we have the notion of original sin, based on the sort of Bronze Age fables known as the Holy Bible, which says that well, we're being, we are in some kind of sense being punished for disobedience to God or breaking some moral code or some injunction from uh, a higher being again same problem you know the world's a crock of shit because you were expelled from paradise at the beginning of time because you ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil so humanity on uh, eating the, the apple became aware of the distinction good and evil, of morality, of normative requirements for societies and so on. And suddenly that was enough for the uh, the vengeful God, as he was described in the Old Testament, to say to Adam and Eve, out you go, no more paradise for you, you will work by the sweat of your brow. And Eve will suffer the pangs of childbirth and so on. Of course, it was all Eve's fault, so we got the, uh, right at the formative moment, right at the generative moment of the religion. We've got misogyny inserted there, it's Eve's fault. She listened to the snake. Snake being the devil who told us to go on, try it, go on, try it. And she takes a bite and then says to Adam, Oh, this is great, you've got to try it. She gets the blame because she couldn't resist the serpent. Now the serpent, what's the serpent? I suppose Kundalini Shakti, fundamental energy of life, the the life energy which induces us to Dionysian celebration, to orgiastic affirmation of life in all its aspects. This is the energy that's associated with the serpent. Of course, we we find ourselves talking about this serpent energy quite a lot, for quite a variety of reasons. So at that that formative moment, we got this insertion of misogyny, this deep suspicion of one of our most profound, uh, latent energies and and, and tendencies, a Dionysian tendency. Uh, alienating us from the, the earth energies which is also what snakes uh, signify given that they, they crawl on the ground and 
make their nests in, in little hollows under rocks and in the earth. The creatures of the earth, they represent our chthonic energies, our earth energies, a, a very sort of biological, animal, fleshy, material, tangible aspects of, of our being as human beings. That's a pretty kind of sh- shitty uh, start-up, giving people a huge disadvantage, <laughs> if you ask me, from the start. But in the name of a, an explanation of why, in this paradise, which it undoubtedly is, uh, it's very apparent on days like today in a place like this, is nevertheless turned by human beings into a, a hell, a crock of shit. Now, just to be controversial here a little, this uh, discourse bears examining and there is no doubt that human life has many opportunities for flourishing, for creativity, for invention, for rapture, for rhapsody, for art, for love, for community. It's, it's, It's so massively endowed with wonderful potential. Now this is a story I'd like to turn on on its head. Instead of the, uh, claiming that the, the Genesis story, the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the fall of man from grace as an explanation of suffering and all the, all the possibilities for suffering that human being entails. And I want to say that the story actually uh, doesn't tell us uh, why we suffer uh, except in the most kind of mythical way, the most speculative way. It's actually the story itself and its propagation over millennia and the force with which it has held the human imagination in certain parts of the world, at least for a couple of thousands of years, is itself the reason for uh, certainly many, many of our, our fuck ups. And I say this because what the story does it, in, it, it inserts the idea into the collective imagination you might say or into the common sense of, of certain societies and certain eras that there's somebody in charge there's a moral authority, there's, a, there's an authority or a power uh, that, uh, that lords over us and to which we are obligated by duty or law to obedience. In other words, it's a, it's a discourse which inserts ordinary people in an inferior position in relation to the power wielded by a cosmic, all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent entity. Now, it's just, I mean, obviously it's bollocks. And even if the universe was created by an entity, why on earth would it care whether we pay our library fines or not? Or whether we uh, respect our betters or not. And this whole kind of stupid game of, of respect, hierarchy, 
of a, of a cosmic signifier that guarantees all of our beliefs. It's nice that God has this kind of big daddy in the sky, as laid down in the, uh, the, the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Really says, right at the formative moment of a whole global culture, that you should do as you're told, that you do have betters, that the boss is your better, <laughs> that the you know, Lord somebody somebody is your better, that the Queen is your better. Now in, in the UK at the moment there's a huge argument about curtsying to the, the monarch and that whole kind of game of deference that they're still playing this stupid uh, plague sewage island, fascist plague sewage island. And uh, this, of course, you know, uh, uh, kings and queens traditionally were appointed by God. You know, there was a thing, there was a belief until fairly recently, over which I think the English Civil War was fought and the French Revolution was fought ultimately, and maybe the American Revolution was fought, that the king is appointed by God, that he has the divine right. What he says goes. Now, this. Just again, it inserts ordinary people into the position of serfs or, or slaves or, or intrinsically inferior beings by definition from birth. And this whole God idea, it does that job. It gives it the, the most weight that can be given to it. And the story of, of, of God and God's dominion over us is also the story of why women are inferior to men in this tradition and also the story of why we must despise our kind of earth energies uh, by which is largely meant sexuality and so all the kind of puritanical attitudes that we see through, through religion everywhere really um, but particularly Christianity arises from this formative moment and these are things which are killing us you know they 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 the inequality between the sexes is killing us. Deference to aristocracies, dictators, and people who somehow manage to wheedle themselves uh, into that position within the psyche of human beings, within the collective psyche of a society, within the common sense of a society. With the aid of uh, the, these old, old myths, which just underscore that there is a supreme being. That that whole that whole game is hobbling us from the start in the business of securing and enhancing life on this planet with its potential to inflict suffering on us. Makes it difficult for to, to do things about it. It actually adds to the suffering. But the, the oppression of women doesn't enhance human life. It degrades it. Yeah. The, the condemnation of sexuality and all, all Dionysian expression, all chthonic snake energy expression, is den denigrated. Yeah. The, and, and there's an anxiety is uh, injected into people regarding change. You know, we have, we have God, we have the church, we have the priesthood. We have the king appointed by God to ensure that we have social stability. Because change, God forbid, might make us suffer. Right? So instead of 
using our ingenuity to negotiate the challenges that will perforce uh, present themselves to human life. Instead of that, we, we have this kind of fearful attitude to the dynamism of, of existence. That too gets slandered. And so you get the story, the counter-story there. Is, oh, God invisible, immortal, only wise. You know, unchanging. The ancient of days. The notion, the notion that God somehow doesn't change, you know, that, that the ultimate good is some kind of static something. The good actually is just conceived of as st static, you know. Now, I'm simplifying grossly because there's certainly uh, the case made uh, by Nietzsche amongst others, you know, that, that Christianity as it arrived, say in the I don't know in the the 18th century, having had a couple of millennia to gestate and, and to um, to evolve it was in large measure what, what, what Nietzsche called Platonism for the masses so a lot of Plato's ideas were taken up as, as, as the church institutionalised and formalised doctrine and employed philosophers and thinkers and monks and scribes and priests to, to ensure that that intellectual work of vouchsafing the, 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 the transcendental guarantee of everything that we think and feel and how we organise society is just put on a very firm philosophical footing so, so we, we have all that effort over a couple of, couple of millennia and a, a big part of it was to draw resources from Plato via Plotinus, the Neoplatonist of uh, later centuries, of a few centuries after Christianity was taken up by the Roman Empire. And of course there's the matter of Christianity being taken up by the Roman Empire, which given that its infrastructure and its, its, uh, its far-flung trade across Europe and North Africa and, and uh, West, West Asia was perfect for the, for the spread once Christianity was ad adopted officially by Con Emperor Constantine uh, at the behest of his wife Faustina so there's a lot of ins and outs to, to this situation of in which we are still oppressed by a transcendental guarantee for thought, feeling, belief notions of duty, notions of origins notions of destiny all these big questions, where are we going, why do we suffer, where do we come from, who or what created us, if anything, what, what, what is good, what is evil, how should we organise society, all of these th things, uh, uh, even in our current supposedly uh, more secular world, still made, those questions, answers to those questions are still referenced in many many instances certainly in popular discourse to the transcendental signifier and this is very roughly uh, why we can still have furories about the, the, the role of the monarch in, in a supposedly modern 21st century country like the United Kingdom so just to reiterate I suppose my conclusion here is that Religion in general, but particularly religions like Christianity, and particularly Christianity, 
have, have an origins myth, have a, a foundational myth or story that places all responsibility for answering any questions whatsoever, any conundrums that the human mind and imagination can dream up for us firmly in the hands of a transcendental uh, immortal, invisible omnipotent, omniscient omnipresent entity called God and the same thing can happen without God I mean Marxists of a certain religious time even managed to do it with with, with the, the dialectic even though that wouldn't have been Marx's intentions I think he seems to be an iconoclast of these very transcendental uh, guarantees so my thesis that, that foundational myths which place a, a transcendental guarantee or guarantor at the core of all human questioning and as a result of all human conduct, social organisation, notions of morality etc etc it's just wrong and rather than explaining our suffering and telling us what to do about it it is in many ways a cause of our suffering and it is being abandoned slowly but surely but it's still got a lot of currency it's particularly in, in, in fascist plague island and it, I have to say it's kind of quite hard, hard to abandon uh, if you follow questions through and question and question any of these big conundrums as far as you can digging down as far as you can into its roots you find that the, the, this transcendental guarantee returns and returns it's, it's tricky to avoid it can be avoided can be avoided and our inquiry actually becomes a lot more fruit, fruitful when we do avoid it but it, it has a knack of returning it's almost something intrinsic in well at least one kind of big area of, of thought per se I would say is that that, that that temptation, and that is what it is, just just lurks in there with the neurons. Anyway, it is a, a little bit of a squib, and uh, I'm just heading down the hill now, so I'm going to say over and out. Buy me a coffee. I'll put a link on the right up on pete.podbean.com. If you if you feel like it, anyway, over and out. Look after yourselves. Make knowledge great again. <laughs>